I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. On today's episode, Priya Patch-Cowday and Fraser Mooney join me to discuss managing restricted grants. So welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our first guest today is Fraser Mooney. Fraser is the executive director of Doctors of the World. Welcome, Fraser. Thank you. Nice to see you. You too. Give a little background of who you are and what you do. So my background is really in fundraising. I started early on in my career in the cultural sector in New York City, and then I became very involved in global health and human rights which really tracked with my sort of side work that I was doing as an activist during the AIDS epidemic and the ACT UP period in New York City. After that, I started the development department at Broadway Cares. So I have a lot of experience with grassroots fundraising. And then from there, I went to become the head of global development with the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, head of development at the International Center for Transitional Justice, and then to Doctors of the World, where I am today. Doctors of the World is really a French-based organization called Médecins du Monde, not to be confused with Médecins Sans Frontières, but um, has the same founder, so we have the same DNA. So Doctors of the World, it's interesting, it's a humanitarian organization that's a networked organization or a federated organization. In other words, we have 17 national chapters around the world who share the same brand, the same program priorities, the same vision, mission, and values, and so forth. And Doctors of the World, MDM as we call ourselves, is not very well known inside the U.S. the way MSF is. But we're very well known and very respected around the world, especially in the places where we're working um, in the field. Fraser, just to clarify, can you just give a quick overview of just the, the difference between uh, Médecins du Monde and Médecins Sans Frontières? Yes, that MSF really does emergency response. So whenever there's an earthquake or there's armed conflict or there's, you know, some sort of some sort of disaster, they come in very effectively and very well. They come in, drop into a place and set up, you know, field hospitals and they do triage and they, you know, they take care of the population that's affected immediately, but then they leave. You know, they leave after a few months or maybe after a year. Whereas Doctors of the World, we go into a place, into a country, and we're there for 20 years. We have an exit strategy always, but our work is really in sort of strengthening and building health systems around the world, and especially in places that are very resource compromised. The U.S. chapter is one of the newest of the Doctors of the World Federation. We were incorporated in 2011. And I came on originally as a consultant working with the executive director at the time to put together a fundraising plan, development plan for her. And that worked quite well. At the time, we had about a million dollar budget. I managed to get the organization their first grant from the U.S. government from from USAID. And that's what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today is what came after that. But that was kind of a transformative event for the organization here in the U.S. Subsequently, the executive director at the time left her position and the board asked me to take the executive director position. And that was around 2015, 2016. And I can't believe it's been that long, but here we are in 2022. So six years later, I'm still standing. (laughs) Yes. And quite successfully, 
And I think the focus of today's conversation is going to be around restricted funding. And I think that's government funding is really how Doctors of the World has grown over the past many years, or it's a big part of how the organization has grown. And from our side at Brand K Partners, my wonderful, brilliant colleague, Priya Pachkaude, has been, I think, an integral part in helping to manage a lot of that. And so she is our next guest. Priya, thank you for joining us. Hi, it's uh, great to be here and nice to talk to you and Frazier. So Priya Pachkaude, I am a vice president at Brand K Partners. I joined late 2019 and have been working with Doctors of the World pretty much since my day one at, uh, at Brand K. Previously, I was an auditor, spent a few years at investment firms in New York City, and then transitioned over to the nonprofit accounting space, which is extremely rewarding, uh, the most rewarding thing career-wise I've done so far. So it's a pleasure working with Frazier and his team. I focus on existing clients like Doctors of the World and reviewing the monthly financials, assisting with budgeting, forecasting, annual audits. That's, That's part of my role. And also a part of my role is onboarding new clients onto the Brand K platform. So getting them um, onboarded with Brand K procedures and consistently operating them for producing regular monthly financials. So that, that's my role. It would be very helpful, Frazier, if you would just maybe walk us through the growth that Doctors of the World has seen over the past seven to eight years. You had previously mentioned that when you came on in 2014, this was a $1 million organization. I believe you were really just funded by one USAID grant. And now it's quite different. Can you talk a little bit about the growth trajectory? So like I said before, when I came in, we did have about a million dollar budget. It might've been a little bit less than that. And now this year, we have a budget of between 15 and $16 million. That's, that's revenue. Um, most of that has been from USAID and the State Department, although we do manage some large founded, private foundation grants as well. Um, but really, most of the growth has been with the U.S. government grants. And that wasn't by design. It just kind of happened. Most of that growth has been in the last maybe three years. It's now like it's, it's something eight or nine different grants that we're managing. But what I would say about this is that growth can be difficult, even painful to manage, especially this type of growth. And, you know, we've had to hire specialists in grants and compliance to support the grant portfolio. And so while our revenue has grown explosively, we've had to play catch up on the HR side, which means adding to our fixed costs. That's something that, you know, keeps me, keeps me awake at night. It's like, got to pay the payroll, you know? And if the grants go away, we're going to have to let people go. That's just the reality. Priya, I know you work with quite a few of our clients that have multiple, that have restricted grants. I know in this instance, it's federally funded, but there, there really is a difference. I guess maybe we should first just touch base on like, what is your experience with managing restricted funding and what are maybe some of the complexities around that from an accounting perspective? Because I know as Frazier alluded to, it's a, it becomes a massive HR investment, especially if you're experiencing rapid growth all at once. So could you talk a little bit more about that, maybe just from an administrative perspective and just from even an expense management perspective? Of course. Yeah, especially for 
federal grants, the line item budget is so important. So we are constantly tracking actual spending against the original budget that was uh, submitted with, with the grant proposal. If um, generally the agreements allow for perhaps a 10% variance, but anything above that then has to be pre-approved. And once that's approved, then you can um, get reimbursed or or get appropriately uh, funded for for that line item. So that's that's one of the key items that we are constantly focusing on. Whether are our actuals matching up with the budget, or do we need a budget modification? And then timeline, the deadlines are something that become very important because all of the reporting is due within 30 days after quarter end. And as Fraser said, sometimes growth can be painful. You know, we, a couple of years ago when we had two or three grants, we were doing two or three grant reports at month end, and now we're doing nine and all of them are due at the same time. So that, that becomes important <laughs> working with different partners and sometimes reports need to be modified. There's back and forth. So managing that timeline to make sure we're submitting reports on time becomes very important. And so, yeah, those are, those are a couple of areas that that we are constantly focused on from a bookkeeping perspective. And it's different reports for different agencies. So like everybody works differently. It's different by agency. It's different by city, by state. It's a lot. Yeah. You either need to ask by email or you need to submit in a portal. You need to ask for pre-approval. So there's, there are definitely many, many differences. And there is always a time lag between when you submit it and when you hear back from the agency for you to take the next step. So you always have to keep that in mind. I think cash flow management around government funding in particular can be can be scary, especially if you have expense reimbursement-based grants. I know we work with many organizations where it can take a year to get the organizations have to lay out the cash and it can take a year, sometimes even more to be reimbursed. I don't know if you've experienced that here or if cash flow is something that's ever kept you up at night. It's a long list of things that keep me up at night and every <laughs> one of them. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, you know, with us, yes, a reimbursement system is really, can be really hairy, um, you know, stress-inducing situation. But we, with the federal government now, we have something called a letter of credit, which allows us to draw down funds in advance. We had to report on them still, and wow. once the funds had to be spent correctly. But the cash flow management part of it, I think, is a little bit less of a concern for us right now. Wouldn't you say, Priya? Yeah, absolutely. The, the cash flow management right now, where Doctors of the World is right now, is is not a, a big concern at this point. And I think part of the reason is what Fraser mentioned that. And they've been able to ha- get advances, which eases so much pressure on the U.S. side as well as the implementing partner side, because now they have the cash and they can actually do the programmatic work and report on the work that was done. And we submit that report then to the agency explaining how those funds were spent rather than either the U.S. or the implementing partner spending the funds front and then asking for reimbursement. That definitely was very stressful. However, I will say that we got the partner reports on time 
more often when it was reimbursement grant because <laughs> yep. they needed the funding. <laughs> Which and, is why most government agencies do it that way. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's like one of the major differences. That's one of the major benefits of federal funding. No, I, Frazier, I was going to ask you, like, is this one of the reasons why you really go after federal funding? Because I know with the states and with many cities, this is just not the case. And it's bankrupts organizations. Yeah, I mean... The other aspect of this, too, is that because so much of our money, too much of it really comes from these restricted federal grants, we rely on the overhead on those grants yeah. to pay for our, our running expenses and our, to keep the, the lights on and keep the payroll going. And um, that's the other cash flow aspect to this kind of funding that, that organizations have to pay attention to is that if you don't have a, a good, strong, you know, unrestricted revenue stream, you're really relying on those grants. And so for us, you know, the drawdown situation, I don't really face situations anymore where I'm sort of wondering, do I have enough money? When is that reimbursement coming and so forth? So it's a, it's it's definitely different for the federal government. Can you talk a little to our uneducated listener who maybe has no experience with government funding? I'm thinking smaller nonprofit organizations, maybe under a million dollars. Can you talk about what you mean when you say the overhead allocation and how that works? Or maybe just in general, how like a standard budget works sure. and just the percentage that's overhead versus the different specific programmatic line items? Sure. Well, I mean, you have, you know, organizations have to have lots of expenses um, to pay for their operations. And then you have program expenses. So mm-hmm. if you're running a program someplace that for us, you know, let's say in Africa, and we've got staff on the ground who are running a program that's paid for by the donor, those are the costs of running the program. But then there's the cost of, you know, other things like um, rent and, uh, just other administrative expenses. Accounting. Accounting, yes, that would be one of them. IT, yeah. Yeah, exactly. These things are not generally things that donors going to pay for. But what many donors and mostly U.S. donors do is that they allow you to build into your grant budget, into your program budget, um, an overhead amount or sometimes we call it indirect and it's a percentage Mm -hmm. and generally can be around 10%, maybe 15% in some cases because savvy donors understand that in order to run a program, you know, effectively and to have the impact that you want to have, it's more than just the program costs, the direct program costs themselves. It's all those other things too that pay salaries and pay for those other things that you have to do. They have no overhead on your grants. You have no way sometimes to pay for those things. So Frazier, you brought up, and I think it's actually, it's very much worth discussing, this balance of unrestricted versus restricted funding. And I also want to tie that into just revenue diversification in general and revenue sustainability. What percentage roughly of your funds are restricted? Oh, wow. Um, I think it's it's at least 80%. Okay. It might be more. And where does the rest come from? The rest comes from individual donations. And then it really comes from other foundation grants that we're getting. And then also our French chapter, which started the U.S. chapter and gave us the brand license to start operations here. They support us. They give us, uh, I think it's 500,000 euros a year to help support the running costs of the office. We didn't have that. 
we'd be in a lot of trouble. But then beyond that, it's just the the unrestricted money we get is the overhead on those grants. Okay. And what has the strategy been through the years? Walk us through the thought process in terms of managing this. This balance, does it work? Does it not? Are you looking to actively grow? I know you mentioned earlier, you've worked with fundraisers externally. Are you looking to actively grow different areas? Yes, we're definitely looking to grow our individual giving, which is really bad right now. Okay. Um, really bad. It's very low. Yeah compared to everything else. And so the so while the ratio has really gotten kind of out of whack, I would say, it's like with predominantly restricted funding, I just think it's having that healthy balance is just becomes really, really important. It's important for all organizations and all organizations want and need unrestricted funding. It's just a common thing across the sector. Some organizations are lucky. That's all they have. But most organizations don't. You know, they're dealing with program restricted program grants. So if you don't manage it carefully, the danger is that organizations, and I've been in this situation, organizations can fall into the trap of having internal deficits. And so it's important to be vigilant about the management of those restricted funds and just to make sure that you're not overspending in other areas if you can't pay for it. Because what happens is, just so people don't know what an internal deficit is, it's when you borrow from restricted funds intending to pay them back because you're expecting other unrestricted funding to come in later on. And when that unrestricted funding doesn't come in, you're caught. You're in a situation where you're not spending your restricted grants properly or according to the rules and regulations, and therefore you have an internal deficit. So I'm going to pose this next question to both of you. How does a nonprofit organization save money in this scenario? If I don't know. And I think I think you're, the ratios that you're referencing here, I think, quite frankly, are pretty common across the sector, whether it's restricted government funding or foundation funding. I think the majority of nonprofit budgets typically are restricted. So it's very and therefore almost exclusively program specific. So, like, how do you save if every dollar has to be accounted for? I'll take the first crack of that until just tell you what we did, please. So when I started, I think you know, you'll know you remember, Amy, that I think we were having weekly calls with you guys to see if we could make payroll. Yep. Because we were just, it was hand to mouth. We really didn't have any kind of you know operating reserve. And I think now we have an operating reserve of something like $1.2 million. So the way we've done that is by, unfortunately, I have not hired as much staff as I should have to do all the things that needed to be done. So we save money by, you know, people have worked extra hard. I have. It's been, I think that's mainly the way we've done it is that we've just sort of budgeted our expenses very conservatively and spent very conservatively. Absolutely. That, that's what we have observed as well. You, um, you ran the organization pretty lean in terms of, employees and also other overheads such as IT. You did not have a very expensive IT provider or you were not spending tremendously on your website or marketing and third-party consultants. You ran your organization very lean for a few years. You built this reserve and now this year we're seeing that you're, you're making those investments that you need to make now because the organization has grown so much that now it would become not manageable with the resources that you currently have. So this is 
is an investment here. That makes a lot of sense. Priya, would you mind just walking through some of the specific operational or accounting challenges around managing government funding? I mean, quite frankly, when we vet clients now, when we hear that they're primarily government funded, we like, we shake, we like, we sweat. It's because it can be very exhausting. It's just a lot of work, tracking, managing, it's a lot of work. Can you maybe just talk about that a bit? Sure. The main component would be the lack of flexibility. There is no calling somebody and and saying, um, you know, we, we, we just haven't spent enough in this area, but could we shift the funds and spend it this way? And there's just no easy way to do that. It makes it much harder than foundation grants, just because you know you have to stick to what's been agreed upon. Or if you're asking for changes, you just have to know it's going to take a while and and may not happen. That personal relationship aspect is missing when you're working with a government agency. It's not like you've built a relationship with this one person at a foundation and you can talk through it and and get things done. That that relationship is missing. So you're just sending things off into this void and the intricacies of where the reports and what format the reports should be submitted. There are very specific templates and forms that that need to be submitted. Government agencies will generally kick these back if something is missing or is incorrect. You know, there's, sometimes you don't hear back. Sometimes you don't know if it's accepted. Sometimes the system is down uh, right when you're trying to submit it and there's nobody you can contact. So it's that lack of flexibility and that lack of personal contact that, that makes it very difficult. I think maybe one of the benefits of foundation funding, particularly during the pandemic, was that there was increased flexibility in how funds needed to be spent. So for example, if a foundation said, you know, here's $100,000, go hire this person. And we had multiple organizations that were able, because they had that personal connection, that personal touch, to go back and say, listen, can I just use that to cover like rent? Or can I use that to cover something else? And it was a very easy kind of like off the cuff conversation. And that was approved. On the government side, I mean, I'm just thinking about certain city agents, like that would take six years to get approved and and maybe it would, and then maybe you'd get paid 10 years later. So I think the enhanced flexibility has enabled organizations to save, particularly during times of crisis. Raja, I don't know if you have anything to add. That's a really good point. And I think it's really, this is where the relationship with a government donor is really the reputation of your organization and your ability to manage their grants. So if you are committed to sort of a level of excellence, both in your program delivery, but also in the administrative side of things, you know, how well you spend your money, how on time you are with your reports, you know, because at the end of the day, we just remember, I think this is also something that we've missed in this conversation is when you're managing government funds, those funds are coming from the taxpayer. And so there's a responsibility on part of both the agency and your organization to manage those funds well. And so your relationship with these kind of donors really is just that, your reputation. How reliable are you as an organization? Is your reporting on time? Do you do the things that you say you're going to do with the grant that you got? And that's really the reason why we've been able to build up our funding with the U.S. government, because they've seen us as a reliable and good partner. That makes a ton of sense. 
Frazier, I had another question for you just along these lines and just kind of understanding that restricted funding, particularly from the government, can sometimes, and just managing all of that can be tricky. I ask this question to fundraisers all the time, but but is, is all money worth taking? Like, have you ever said thanks, but no thanks? Yeah, we have said <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. All money is not necessarily good. I mean, you really have to weigh the costs and the benefits. And this is particularly true with federal funding. Sometimes it's just not worth it. And I think you really, before you actually go down this path as an organization, you really have to look at, you know, what it's going to require, you know, what it's going to require in terms of the resources that you have in place. Do you have the right staffing? Do you have the right structure in place to be able to confidently manage these kinds of funds? It's not easy. Yeah. I think, you know, in the federal government, it's uh, it's something called the Code of Federal Regulations. We call it FAR 200. We call it CFR 200 for the nerds out there, which is the uniform administrative guidance that covers cost principles on audit requirements and so forth. That is something that is like, you know, several hundred pages long. And so you have to have familiarity with that before you go down this path. And so that's why we hire people who specialize in this. Then beyond that, I mean, I think it's just, you know, there are different types of grants. So there's something in the federal grant system called a cooperative agreement. Mm -hmm. That is a very intensive type of grant where you have a program officer who's very deeply involved in your program design and program management delivery to the point where if you have staff that you're hiring on a grant, you'll need to get permission from the program officer on a cooperative agreement to be able to spend that money. And some organizations aren't willing to do this and for, you know, understandably. So there are good reasons not to take some funds for sure. We've definitely seen it through the years, just organizations saying, you know what, this is great, but the tracking, it's going to wind up costing me more money and and more stress and could lead to staff turnover. So there's just all sorts of things to think about as hard as it, I'm sure it is to turn away money. Of course. So just maybe one, just to kind of close this out, this is actually, this has been great guys. Thank you so much. Are there tips that you would give to maybe smaller nonprofits that really, that have never gone after government funding? Because I think to a lot of people, it's terrifying. What tips would you give them? Well, I mean, I think the first tip is you're facing a knowledge gap and an experience gap. If you yourself don't have experience with that, then the first thing you need to do is find somebody who does, whether it's a board member, whether it's someone a board member knows, whether it's someone in your network, you know, you want to find someone who can provide advice. That is the most important thing. A lot of what I did, the very beginning, I did by the seat of my pants. And I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. While I had experience working with government grants before and very large ones, having a trusted advisor who understands the process and can walk you through it and really sort of flag things for you to be looking for is worth its weight in gold. That's the main tip I would have. Priya, do you have anything to add? I I would absolutely echo what Frazier is saying, government funding is not something you apply for and think about trying to figure it out later. You need to make sure that you do have the right resources in place because managing these grants does take a lot of time and effort and 
it uh, it needs to be done accurately and going back to our previous point there is a lack of flexibility and there is a reputation risk so doing the homework first and having the right advisors before going out for this funding which is a great source of funding there's just some work involved that needs to be done up front thank you guys so much i really appreciate it it's really thank nice you. to see you and you this too was great this was fun this was awesome Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Alex Brower, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.